Welcome into another Monday edition of the Maize and Brew podcast here on Maize and Brew. You'll notice that it is a different voice leading the show today. Uh, Luke Giardi and I are off this week. I'm off this week, technically. I'm actually speaking to you from the past uh, for a special interview segment uh, that we're doing in place of our regular show this week. So figured that uh, with news being fairly slow, uh, it was a good time to get away and and do some other things. But uh, excited about our guest today. He's a good friend of the site. Uh, someone who, you know, back in the day, if you want to, if you want to say, uh, stuck his neck out for us a ton, and, and now is doing some great work um, in his new adventure, which has been going on for about a year or so now. So uh, we're joined today by Matt Brown. He's the publisher, proprietor, owner, boss, whatever you want to call, of the Extra Points newsletter, which kind of covers all the off-field stuff in in college sports and kind of the. Uh, the landscape of it, the financial stuff of it, the, the contract type stuff, uh, the FOIA stuff, all of that, Matt has got you covered. So, Matt, welcome back. It's been a while, but uh, we're glad to have you back. Yeah, always always happy to spend a little bit of time with you and, and with the site. I think I think it has been close to a year uh, since, since we last chatted. No shortage of things going on in the world now, huh? No, uh, it, it's slow right now for, for both of us. There's nothing going on to to take time out of our schedules. So, um, well, let's just hop right into it because we do have kind of a lot to discuss today. Name image likeness. That's kind of, objectively speaking, maybe the biggest hot button issue in college sports in terms of the the landscape of it uh, and you know the, the legislation behind it. So for the uninitiated, for people that might be hopping on this show for the first time, wants to get kind of an inside scoop on what all of that is about, Run us through what the NIL stuff is all about and and what the legislation or the reforms uh, would bring about if this all goes through. Sure. So in, in, in case you haven't been following this super closely, uh, when we talk about name, image, and likeness reform, we're referring to the ability of a college athlete to make money by monetizing um, their own publicity rights. Well, you know, right now, if you're an athlete in Michigan or Central Michigan or, or anywhere under the NCAA umbrella, if you cut a commercial or if you do a sponsored post on your Instagram page or you you turn on you know ads on your Twitch channel and you accept money, you could be declared ineligible. That's against NCAA bylaws. Uh, I think about a year ago, a California lawmakers passed a law that said actually. Uh, the NCAA can't enforce that rule uh, to California institutions. And then a bunch of other states have followed, including Michigan, uh, including everybody except for Kentucky within the SEC footprint. So I, I believe at current count, we have 16 states that have uh, laws that are set to go into effect in like two weeks. They go into effect July 1st, which would each law is a little bit different. But it would allow athletes within that particular state to be able to, you know, take advantage of those publicity rights and make money without risk losing their eligibility. The NCAA has said, okay, we, we, you know, we fought this for a long time. We're giving up. We want a national policy. They haven't done that yet. They're going to try to pull it off before July 1st. And Congress is also getting involved because none of the administrators and most lawmakers don't really want a system where there's 28 different like, state laws they want some kind of unified national policy. That might happen by July 1st. It probably won't. So we're going to have a couple of weeks where uh, athletes in some states presumably won't be able to take advantage of this, and athletes in other states will. 
Okay, well, you you hit on the congressional hearings and things like that, and and you often hint that these are, well, it's not a hint, you outright say they're super dry, they're tough to get through because typically that's what a lot of political things are. So I guess what is kind of the Cliff Notes version of where things, well, you you hit on it at where things stand right now, but I guess I'll, I'll rephrase it as what are kind of the significant hurdles that remain as the push continues? And like you said, we're a few weeks out from that July 1 date here. Well, for the as far as the federal law, there it, it's kind of funny because there's really so few issues in Washington that would attract like legitimate, really big bipartisan support. It's very difficult to get to, you know Senate Democrats and Republicans to agree on much of anything. But right now, you could probably get upwards of 80 votes of U.S. senators allowing uh, creating some kind of bill to allow a, a nationwide name, image, and likeness framework. The, where, where the hangup is, is about what else gets attached to that bill, um, because you have some generally conservative lawmakers that want to make the scope of the bill as absolutely narrow as possible, and also to give the NCAA as much flexibility as possible in determining guardrails uh, or, or limiting the amount of, of money potentially an athlete could get, limiting what kinds of deals they'd be allowed to sign. Generally, but not exclusively, the more progressive lawmakers are hoping for a more uh, liberalized market, a more free market, and also want to uh, attach other college athletic reform bills or, or to, to some kind of nationwide program. Particularly, um, there's a lot of lawmaker interest in requiring more Division I institutions to pay for long-term health care for athletes. If you are a football player in the Big Ten right now, and you get a concussion or you tear an ACL your senior season and you need to get health care you know, deeper into your life to address that injury, you're on your own. Um, and that could be, depending on the injury and depending on the sport, very expensive. Uh, and that's something that um, there's close to consensus on. There's some more radical pr- uh, proposals about potentially allowing athletes to unionize. Um, or giving them collective bargaining rights or allowing them to have group licensing rights, which is not permitted right now under state NIL laws, that all has to be hashed out. I suspect we are going to see a federal name, image, and likeness slash college sports reform bill sometime this year, maybe even before the start of football season. I would be very surprised if one is ready to go by July 1st. Yeah, that just seems we're we're way too we're way too up against it now. Uh, and I so I know the answer to this next question, but I want to make sure you know, our listeners who might be coming on uh, and are coming online to this this issue now, name, image, likes like likeness. Wow, that's a tough tough to get out today for some reason. Um, NIL, which is what I should be calling it, is for like autograph signings, the Twitch streams, like you said. It is not. No, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not schools paying players to play football or basketball or softball, correct. whatever it is. Okay, correct. So the, the, the way, I mean, the way that it's, it would be set up is that, in fact, it, it may be set up where Michigan would not be allowed to then cut a check to an athlete. And what uh, senior NCAA administrators are trying to you know, advocate for a more restricted market because what they don't want is a de facto pay-to-play system where, say, the local car dealership or a, a local business effectively subsidizes an athlete or pays them to come play at Michigan. Now, you and I and God know that already happens, and that's going to happen whether <laughs> this system is, like, is codified or not. But that's, th- that, that's some of the concern that, that's, that's, uh, that's being navigated right now. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think people realize this, but uh, there's a player on, 
I saw this report during basketball season. Uh, someone did some kind of rough estimate on what the players would be worth based on their social media following, things like that. And like Michigan basketball's most valuable player, whatever you want to call it, was like the twelfth man off the bench, Adrian Nunez, because he has like a ginormous TikTok feed, apparently. So that's where that kind of stuff comes into play, correct? Yes. I, honestly, I would imagine that the single biggest beneficiaries of name, image, and likeness uh, by like class are going to be women athletes, and they're going to be people primarily monetizing their social media accounts. The biggest football and basketball, men's basketball players at Michigan, and the large, you know, the, the highest profile. Um, mainstream sports across the country are going to have access to things like Gatorade or potentially shoe deals or larger national corporations. But there's really not going to be that many of those because it's, it's honestly a pretty risky investment and something that you typically only give to a junior or senior who's very highly established. But anybody, even if you suck at sports, can make money if you have five figures of Twitter followers or Instagram followers or Twitch. And we're already seeing this right now, even at the NAI level, right? Where, you know, disrespect to anybody who competes at that level, none of the schools have fans. The local pizza place does not care about the local NAIA school. And you have athletes uh, right now who are signing four and five figure deals because they're good at social media. And the people who are good at that are the ones that I, I think are overwhelmingly going to benefit from this space. It's going to be interesting to see how schools like Michigan can then help their athletes become good at social media and take advantage of this world if that's something that's important to them. Okay, we're talking to Matt Brown of the Extra Points newsletter. Uh, Matt, how do you see the schools positioning themselves for a landscape change here? Well, the, the only thing I can tell you right now is that everyone's spending a lot of money, <laughs> what you would expect, um, because this is a little bit of a lemming industry where people are always looking what everybody else is doing and decide, well, shoot, if somebody else in the Big Ten is doing this, we need to do that too. So you're seeing a lot of schools partner with either large marketing agencies or consultants or brand experts to try and provide some of that education. It's, it's hard to figure out exactly what that curriculum would be because nobody, nobody still even really knows exactly what's going to be permitted. It's not totally clear from state law or maybe federal law how much influence Michigan's allowed to have. Michigan isn't allowed to individually broker these deals for athletes. Michigan can you know, go to their business school or go to their journalism school and, and provide educational information. Uh, they can go to the law school and, and, and maybe give them the information they need to find an agent, but they can't recommend an agent. Um, you're going to see some schools, I think, toe the line <laughs> about what they're allowed to, to, how active they're allowed to be. I mean, Tennessee is essentially creating an entrepreneurship minor within their business school just to help athletes do this. Uh, but we're going to have a better idea about about what's effective and what's allowed in a, in a year or two once we actually understand the, the, the parameters of this marketplace. But I think if you're a big institution in the bigger market with a great business school, you should have an advantage because there's there's in a place like Michigan or Wisconsin or Ohio State. There's nothing that a consultant can tell you about how to optimize your brand and run a small business that isn't already available on campus. Well, NIL legislation has been impacted, or the speed of which, maybe why we're up against this July 1st date with not much, uh, with still some work to do, is is because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But college sports in general has obviously been massively affected by that pandemic. 
um, from the business end of things. I mean, we saw um, you know FCS football was playing in the spring. We saw what happened with FBS football. We saw sports get cut. I guess what's your biggest takeaway from the pandemic 15 months removed from when this all kind of kicked off? Yeah, it, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And on one hand, I think we can look at it and say, I, I think we can feel some measure of optimism that the worst is over, right? Just about every school is planning and budgeting for full or mostly full stadiums. And more importantly, they're budgeting and planning for full or mostly full dorm rooms because the business of the university is still a much bigger deal than the business of the athletic department. Um, there are, all of these schools got a ton of federal funding. That's something I'm writing about more on extra points uh, that helped limit the impact of all of that lost revenue. And, and you know, so and, and jobs that were furloughed are going to be coming back. But it was also shocking for me to see how much business as usual within college football really continued. You know, if we go back to the beginning of the summer, a lot of presidents, a lot of administrators said, we don't feel good about having college football if our fans can't go or if we don't have students on campus or, you know, it's, it's where it's not really a, 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 a anything resembling normal. And for good or for ill, athletes were, were football players in particular were really treated as essential employees without being employees throughout the country. And, and everyone just kind of said the quiet part loud and went on through it. And they still paid gigantic buyouts for football coaches so that they could fire them. And there are times if you just look at the bottom line, you wouldn't have known there was an enormous pandemic, which makes me think that it's going to be very difficult for any of those kind of market forces to slow down because if COVID couldn't force a school to do something differently, I don't know what will short of a literal federal order. Wow. Uh, so you kind of you sort of touched on this, but uh, there was business as usual uh, with a lot of these athletic departments. But is there just flipping a switch and going back to normal or is there and I know it's I'm sure it's different for every school, every conference, every level of, of the sport or of sports. Is it adapting to a new normal? Like what are, are we seeing those trends start to play itself out yet? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to go back to complete exactly the way things were before a couple of things have changed you know one of them and you know this is this might be a little bit nerdy but but one one thing that's definitely changed would be um ticketless stadiums and this was something that many programs were thinking about doing anyway or kind of moving down that road and covid provided a catalyst to to move move along faster i think you're going to see more and more schools not issue paper tickets at all. So you have to be, make sure that you have good signal <laughs> and download that stuff ahead of time on your phone uh, so you can get in. You're going to see more and more arenas go to a completely cashless experience. And that's going to be a challenge for college basketball because the median ticket buyer, <laughs> ticket holder for most college basketball programs is old, like over 60, um, especially at the mid-major level you're going to see more schools try to do more of their meetings and potentially more of their recruiting over zoom. I think um, a lot of institutions realize that maybe don't need quite as much of this travel as they thought. And I know the West coast conference straight up closed the lease on their headquarters uh, and might move to a smaller building or just have a lot of those folks work remotely. I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if the big 10, like they're not going to close the, the Rosemont facility, but I don't think they're going to have as many people in there working five days a week as they did before. But in terms of, like, you know, those, those little things are important and th they shape our experience. But the South Carolinas of the world are still going to pay $25 million to make their Will Muschamps go away. Like, it's going to take an act of God, I think, <laughs> to stop that, you know? 
Right. So let's pivot directly into college football now. Playoff expansion, as you and I sit here today, we're recording this on Thursday. It seems, I mean, it is imminent. It appears that way anyways, with the report stating we're looking at a 12-team playoff now, which I know a lot of people were talking six, a lot of people were talking eight. Looks like that they might actually pull this or push this up to 12. What do you think that does to the sport? What's your immediate takeaway from that? Yeah, so I mean, this is my very immediate takeaway. I haven't had a chance to make too many phone calls to other people. This would not have been the proposal I would have picked, but I, I think there's some reason to be excited about it. One of those reasons is that it is surprisingly more egalitarian than an eight-team was, especially because this current proposal, and again, like this isn't official, this is just a recommendation, says that um, there's not an automatic G5 bid. It goes to the top, the top six conference champions get an automatic bid. So last year, that means the Pac-12 misses the playoffs, and we get Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. And if you look back over the last decade, I think we can point to two or three other t- years when a power conference champion would not have automatically been given an automatic bid and we would have had two G5 teams. You know, we'll see if the committee starts ranking teams a little bit differently under this criteria in five or six years. But I think it's great news if you're the American Athletic Conference. and I think it's positive news if you root for an above average team in another league because you now have a, a much more of a chance of participating than you ever did before. Um, I don't love the, uh, the, 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 the buy system that's set up. If you, the top four teams don't get a buy, they do get a buy, but they don't get, the, they don't get to host an on-campus game. They're going to have to put four games all on neutral sites. I don't really love melding the bowl system to this, but I, you know, I'm not that kind of a traditionalist. There's not a perfect system, and there are some kinks that are going to have to get fixed with this one, but it's honestly better now that I kind of think about it I think I like it better than eight or six. Uh, and that's, it's rare for me to hear about a college football structural proposal. And my initial reaction is I'm pleasantly surprised rather <laughs> than I'm very skeptical, you know? Right. And so do you think an expanded playoff, I know college football has a parity problem right now. And that's, I mean, that's kind of always been the case. You've always kind of had superpowers yeah. at the top here and there. Do you think that this new dynamic could shift that at all or does it does it just widen are we just going to play more games and still get the ohio state alabama clemson oklahoma you know 14 playoff at the end um i think that is probable in the beginning but that could change by the end of this contract if that makes sense the re- there's two reasons for that right one just just by virtue of playing more games you're going to increase the chance of a major team getting upset in the playoff um, that hasn't really happened in the playoffs so far. Um, honestly, outside of 2014, it's, it's been pretty chalk. Even when Alabama won as a four seed, that's not exactly a gigantic upset. Um, but there's not a whole lot of opportunities for that, right? If we start playing, there, there's, I mean, there's definitely going to be some 12s that upsets eights or, you know, nines that upset sevens just by virtue of simply playing those games. I also think that we're at an era right now where so much of the talent has consolidated with five or six programs because in a four-team playoff, if you are a you know four rated and above four-star recruit, that's that's really your best path of playing in the playoff. You can have an excellent career at the University of Washington uh, or at Penn State uh, or at Texas A&M or some other very good school, but 
you know what the odds are against you of even participating in the playoff. And when you expand that, then the conversation could be, assuming we still have scholarship limits, is this idea of, listen, you're, you're from eastern Pennsylvania. Um, now, even if your team doesn't beat Ohio State in the regular season, you still have a potential chance at a national championship. Why don't you come here and like, be the man at your local school? And I, I can see, whereas Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma might get like 80% of like, the top 50 players now in an expanded playoff, maybe they only get collectively 60%, which is going to chip things away. Is Alabama still going to be the favorite as long as Nick Saban's there? Yes. <laughs> Do I think on the balance this will make more regular season games compelling and give us more interesting like early postseason games? Yeah. And ultimately, I, I actually think that's what college football fans want. Right? When, you, when you look at the college basketball tournament, you want some stupid upsets. You want some craziness, but at the end, you want two, you, you want one seed and you want chalk in the final four, or at least most of the final four, so you can see the best quality basketball. If Oral Roberts is in the final four playing against Oregon State, that's not as compelling of a product. And I imagine a football expanded playoff would follow a similar trajectory. It's fun to root for Coastal Carolina. It would be great if they win a playoff game. Your final four is probably still going to be Alabama, Clemson, whatever, but maybe okay. Well, and I guess it depends what the system winds up looking like, too. But do you think that opens – I mean, for example, like Michigan this year, they're going to open against Western Michigan. They'll play Washington, which should be an interesting non-conference game. But then they play, I think – I want to say either Ball State or Northern Illinois. Do you think it kind of opens you up to where, hey, throw throw the tough game on your schedule? It, with 12 teams, you, you, know, you still might get into the playoff anyways. Do you think that that helps there at all? Honestly, I do, and I think we're already starting to see a couple of schools schedule with that intent. I think there's a reason that Alabama has been pretty aggressive these past couple of, of years now in abandoning the initial neutral side game and trying to pretty aggressively schedule out of conference at home. Um, it's something that Ohio State is, is definitely doing. There's future games with Oregon, with Notre Dame, with Texas, with Alabama, with Georgia. Uh, a, a lot of schools are doing that. I think that would make a lot of sense if you're Michigan or a Penn State or maybe even a, a Big Ten team you know, lower than that, not just because you want to burnish your credentials to make it as an at-large, but you also got to sell tickets. And we've already seen here over the past several years, attendance has been in decline for most seasons, even before COVID. We might see an initial bump this year with people just glad to be back in the stadium, but I bet that only lasts like four or five weeks before they remember they don't like paying $60 to watch Northwestern. If you want to get people into the big house, you have to give them an interesting product. Uh, and that means more than just winning nine games a season. That means you have to put somebody in there that people care about. And so it, it would behoove everybody. Starting with your own football team. Starting, I mean, that would be my recommendation, but I'm just a humble basic <laughs> blogger. But, but it's, it, 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 it will be better for everybody if there's more big time, Big 12, Pac-12, P5 or really interesting G5 teams that are on that Michigan home schedule. Cause you probably don't get excited about spending money to go see central Michigan. I mean, well you, you might, but like <laughs> not most other Michigan fans take right? all of my money for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, for you, for you, you would be into that, but, but not, not everybody. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. Uh, well this, I have a couple more questions and this is what this interview has kind of all been building to and maybe not building to, but what I've been waiting for. One of the bigger uh, college sports stories of the year, probably second to NIL, or, or it's probably below a couple of other things, but 
the college football video game is like in some sort of development right now. And I know there's a lot of business stuff that goes into that. There's obviously game development, next gen console development, uh, NIL is is obviously affected in that too. I know that they're reaching out to. It seems like EA is reaching out to individual schools to get them on board, yep. as opposed to the NCAA. So, like, what in the early stages of this process? What do you think that this whole project is is kind of building to, and what what it might look like? I think we're honestly still a little bit early in knowing about gameplay. But I've actually broken a couple of stories about this. Like, here, here's what I feel very comfortable saying. EA does not want their next college football game to be a reskin of Madden or just a reboot of NCAA 2014. Um, not only do they not want that for the branding purposes, but they also literally can't do it because the last college football game was two console systems ago. Those developers, if they're still with the company, they're on a bunch of different projects. That code's all gone. They have to rebuild the whole ding-dong engine. And so there's going to be a ton of groundwork. Uh, I can also tell you, like, for certainty, not just from talking to people at EA, but from looking at documents from EA and the CLC, that EA also wants to visit the campus of just about every school and re-photograph their stadium, re-photograph their mascot, re-upload all of their, their, their uniform assets, and make this as realistic as possible. So that they, for, for them, it's important that they do this right. The other, I think, interesting thing that maybe we've forgotten because it's been a couple of years since we, we had the video game is when NCAA 14 came out, online console gaming was still in its relative infancy. You, it was, you, like when I had my Xbox 360, it didn't even have a modem in, inside. I had to buy a USB dongle to connect to the internet at all because um, the base consoles didn't come with that. And, you know, you, the, the ultimate team mode was really in its infancy if you played NCAA 14, the, the, the big mode was the single-player dynasty. And maybe you play with a couple of people in, like, your dorm or your apartment, but it was still way more couch co-op than online. And that's not the way sports video games are now, um, given how, how core to that functionality is. So you know, I've talked to people at EA. Like, you would definitely expect a college football ultimate team. You're going to expect microtransactions and potential DLC to be a part of that product. And some of that might suck. Some of that might be great. I mean, like I play FIFA ultimate team. I play NBA 2K, um, the, the, my team mode, you know, most years, uh, could there be a world where you pay a couple extra bucks to get an extra recruiting visit or drop a bag on, on a recruit to make it a little (laughs) bit easier? Sure. I I think it is legitimately possible that there will be DLC content to get FCS teams in this game. Uh, I know that the FCS teams are not going to be, considered for the game at initial launch, but there is immense interest at the FCS level in participating. That would not shock me. Um, And I know that just financially schools are kind of counting on that too, because the the, the weird secret is you don't actually make that much money from appearing in the video game. If you're a school like Michigan's going to be making five figures from being a part of this, not six, Uh, maybe even a more modest five. But in the past, they didn't get a cut of microtransaction stuff. And so if you put Charles Woodson, you put Desmond Howard, or you put some Fielding Yost teams that have Michigan branding that you can download and people pay extra money for that, that might be an extra check for Michigan. And then participating in this looks a little bit differently financially than it did before. Interesting. All right, so I'll get you out of here on this then. When we do get the college football video game, because it's com- they say it's coming, it's in development, we're- we finally have something to go off of here. Assuming yeah. everything is... 
modernized, like you said, uh, you know, DLC, microtransactions, online, ultimate team, all that. And everyone's on board. No one's pulling out. Which small school are you starting your dynasty with? Uh, I mean, that's a good question because um, as of what I've been told right now, we're looking at this game coming out in the summer of 2023. So I'm not exactly sure what the rosters are going to look like. Um, I normally start with the Mac school. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Columbus, Love Ohio. It. was often one of the teams that I started with because their, their stadium looks really cool. The, you got the unique green thing going on there. They're usually like a one or a two star prestige team, but their roster isn't completely like barren of talent. So I know I could turn around and, you know, win nine games relatively quickly. It might be kind of fun to play with like one of those almost complete expansion teams, like an old dominion or Charlotte or one of the UTSA ones. And also, also there's a non-trivial chance. We're going to have another FBS team by 2023. So maybe I'm playing with Sam Houston state. <laughs> maybe I'm rocking with, uh, one of these, you know, these whack or these ASUN schools that decide to move up because that might be kind of fun too. What about you? Uh, I mean, I'm boring. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm boring and predictable. So I would usually start with Central Michigan, but sure, I, I could be talked to if I, I, I don't know something about uh, the the Doggers from home field has me wanting to start something with UConn <laughs> when we get a game. So. That's where I'm at with that right I know, now. It, it, is, it is fun to play as an independent and have a lot more scheduling flexibility, but the, the roster by then is going to be, if you'll pardon the dogger pun, it's going to be some serious wolf. <laughs> I guess one would say it would be sad. Um, well, cool. That's uh, that's all I have for you. This is uh, talk, talking today to Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points. Uh, your newsletter covers the off-field stuff that uh, shapes the landscape of college sports. Uh, you can email Matt at matt at extrapointsmb.com and check out the newsletter at extrapointsmb.com. Did I just give away your whole pitch or do you have anything else you want to uh, tell the people before we get out of here? I have one last thing I'd like to add here, if I may. Uh, if you happen to still have a Michigan email address, um, I have a partnership with the university because my newsletter is sometimes used as a textbook supplement for sports management uh, classes. So if you buy a subscription, if you buy a subscription, you get four newsletters a week, plus access to our special subscriber-only Discord channel. So this is like some serious college athletic nerd stuff. Normally it costs eight bucks a month to subscribe. But if you still have a Michigan email address, don't pay eight bucks, pay four bucks. Use promo code GOBLUE at checkout. That gives you 50%, 50% off for 12 months, no matter what uh, package you use. If you are a Michigan fan, but you went to another university, uh, check out extrapointsmb.com slash sales. There's a list of all the universities I partner with. If you have an email address from one of those, like Northwestern or Wisconsin or Ohio University, use those. Don't pay more than you have to. Um, but if, if you listen to this podcast, you're like, well, this is interesting. I, could use, I, I would want to know stories like this throughout, my, throughout the day in my inbox. I think you'll really love Extra Points, and you'll love independent publishing, and I, I hope to see you uh, on the newsletter. Awesome. Well, like I said, uh, and my pitch of his newsletter for you is that I consider myself to be a man of, of average intelligence, maybe, you know, depending on the weather, maybe a little below average. But some of these issues are complicated, and Matt writes them in a way that are it's, it's digestible, it's understandable. Um, you know, there could be numbers that are dry at times, of course, when you're talking budgets and things like that. But uh, Matt does an excellent job, and, and please, please support uh, his work. And he's uh, it's, it's 
good of you to be by. It's good to talk to you again, Matt. Hey, it's good. It's good to talk to you too, my friend. I, I appreciate it. That's what that's what we're trying to do here. Um, it's not all vegetables. Sometimes there's jokes. We did a newsletter <laughs> last week. That's all about like weird stories and live mascot history. Um, it's not all like CARES Act. There's some conference realignment stuff in there. There's some fun interviews. You know, hop, hop in. I, I think you'll find something that you're glad that you read, even if you didn't know you were interested in it. All right, well, if you like this chat today, definitely be sure to check all of that out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the website at Maze and Brew. Uh, find our shows, our podcast, wherever you get your shows. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Join the Discord. I mean, anywhere that you consume social media or any type of media, we're there. So find us. We're not hard to find. It's a lot of things to run through there. But uh, for Matt Brown, this has been Anthony Broom. Uh, we'll talk to you next week on the podcast.